Hey, church friends, we would like to take a moment to thank you for listening to the show. We really do appreciate every single one of you. And really, if you have any questions, if you need prayer, if you just want to share your thoughts or what your favorite topic was that we covered, please, please feel free to email us at yourchurchfriends at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Chris will read that email and let me know what it says. <laughs> also, if you enjoyed the show, please do the following to help us out. Follow or subscribe to whichever podcasting platform you listen to, and then share it with your family, your friends, and the people who attend your church. And really, all this stuff is run by algorithms, so you doing those simple things really helps get the podcast into more ears. And remember, Your Church Friends Podcast is here to be a resource to you to help you understand God's Word in a more clear and personal way. All so that we can grow closer in our relationship with God. Don't forget to check out our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It currently takes you to all of our social media accounts and places where you can listen to each and every episode. Which Chris is finally forcing me to sit down and work on a lot of that stuff. So there's updates coming to the website, as well as a lot of other wonderful resources that we're working on together. The website is yourchurchfriends.rocks because, wait, what was it again? Oh, that was a long time ago. Oh, that's right, because we rocks. Lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Welcome to your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Mirdhuk. So first, I want to say an early Happy Thanksgiving to everyone who is listening. So uh, we hope that you have a blessed day no matter how you celebrate. Uh, as for me, the stretchy pants are ready for battle. Yeah, they're a necessity. They really are. Uh, what's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Uh, um, it's a good question. I really like the whole spread of food. I'm trying to think favorite. What's that one? I don't know if it would be like the top favorite, but I do enjoy, is it like sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top? Is oh, that a thing? really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I've always liked little marshmallows since I was a kid. So like, I do like that. That's um, gross. But no, all the stuff, like I'll throw everything on my plate. Thanksgiving is a bit different for me over the past probably eight years because I don't really eat any pork. Oh, so yeah. So I do, I mean, uh, was it the honey glazed ham? Or yeah, what the honey baked. Yeah, the honey baked ham. Mm-hmm. That's delicious. I just don't eat it anymore. Um, so I'm just, I'm on the turkey gang. What about you? Uh, my favorite is pumpkin pie. Oh yeah, I'm, I love pumpkin uh, pie. But really, my favorite is, and you just you're not gonna get like anything good at the store. But if someone can make it, then it is my favorite sweet potato pie. Yeah, I, I like love that. a good sweet potato pie as long as it's done right and not over seasoned and this and that. It is amazing to me. Yeah, and that's the thing. Done right, it definitely is the time for like the cooks to come out and shine. Yeah. And I know that when I get invited to different like family ways, because like there's all kinds of different ways, like, well, how are you making the mashed potatoes or doing it? Just, I know that I've had some just some great food over the years. Come and your family's a little more like uh, diverse would be the right word, right? Like uh, Delilah side. Do they eat the same spread as like your family side? Are you trying to say they're not American? No, I'm just saying like <laughs> uh, Hispanic Filipino side like does things a little bit different. I know like my brother, uh, his wife is Guamanian. So for Thanksgiving, like they have like a guamanian spread out there uh, so it's, it's really good yeah i don't think we've had like pancit or anything out for uh probably it's tamales or tamales is more christmas time huh yeah yeah uh you you asked me questions on something that was literally a year ago <laughs> <laughs> like, dude i don't know what i ate for breakfast so either way happy thanksgiving early thanksgiving to everyone listening uh let's go into the book of amos because from listening to you reading it right now, it is extremely longer than some of the other books that we've covered. Well, yeah, compared to the other ones, it, it is the nine chapters. But even within those nine chapters, it's like, they're substantial chapters, but they're not crazy long. Like the book of yeah. Luke, you're like, oh, cool. It's how many chapters? But each chapter has like 60 some odd verses. Right. Like these are, it's manageable chapters. And boy, there's a lot in them, though. Yeah. It is dense, right? It might not be long, but it's dense. It's, it's, uh, I think we talked about it last week. It's, uh, when we talked about the Amos versus uh, Hosea, mm-hmm. that like Amos is like the doom and gloom and Hosea is like a little bit more of like a lighter, fluffy, same message. 
but it is, it is just so harsh. And I think we're, we'll get into it when we look at some of the book itself, but it is just like, dang, that's happening. You probably edited yourself out, but I'm just thinking about when I was reading through the book and you're <laughs> just hearing the background burn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like sick burn. It was, uh, what was it? Uh, Amaziah? Yeah. When he was like, don't do this anymore. And Amos was like, I'm gonna. Yeah, Amaziah was like, don't prophesy here. And he's like, yeah, let's see what God has to say. And then he was like, your wife's now going to be a prostitute in a distant land. And you're like, dang, the first shot you fire from that conversation. But yeah, it is Amos. And that, yeah. that is famous Amos and what he's famous for. Uh, I, I want to start here uh, because for me, it, it shapes the rest of the book uh, with the day of the Lord. And I didn't get this into the last one, mm -hmm. so I want to like put this at the beginning of here, so then we can move forward with it. But uh, is that what you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so Amos five eighteen through twenty is often considered the first occurrence of the Day of the Lord in the prophetic literature, uh, which I didn't know, and I thought that was pretty mm -hmm. cool. That in all of the writings, that the Day of the Lord kind of starts here. Now there's. You said that was what verse? Uh, 18 through 20, the, that day of the Lord section or whatever it is that's there. Um, mm, but the phrase, okay. the day of the Lord, appears there three times. So I'll, I'll read it real quick. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Well, why do you long for the day of the Lord? The day will be like darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered into... <laughs> I Something hit my head as I read that, and I'll, I'll share it afterwards. Um, as he entered into his house... And rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Uh, will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch darkness without the ray of brightness? You ever see that video? And I want to say it's a squirrel. And the dog has it. And like the dog uh, takes it from the backyard uh, to the like porch. And he's like got it in his mouth and he's carrying it. And like you're like, dang, the dog killed a squirrel. And like he puts it down and it's just laying there. The dog turns and the squirrel like pops up and just books it and you're like oh the squirrel is alive it's getting away and then an owl comes out of nowhere oh and yeah yeah yeah, yeah i've seen that <laughs> that's what that reminded me of when he was like you're gonna run from a uh flee from a lion only to be met with a bear you're like i'm getting away oh nope there's that not to make light of the day of the lord but that just popped into my head when i was reading it but he's saying that that's what it'll yeah. be like so it's like imagine being that squirrel like, sweet got away from that no you didn't there it is uh the other thing i found interesting is that uh four other related phrases are prominently used in amos so he uses in that day mm -hmm. on that day the evil day and days are coming so amos directly confronts with the day of the lord the this national ideology of a victorious day of the lord we talked about last last episode that they thought like the day of the lord this is why he's like why are you longing for this it's a day of defeat that will surpass anything they experienced so far uh god's appearing will not be joyous it will involve defeat destruction and displacement and i really think that that's just if we're looking at like we were saying what's the tone of amos there it is he kind of just sets the tone of what the book is uh and then really it's just why because the heart at the heart of this book is God's judgment on his chosen people. Yeah, and when looking at that, when you know who God is, God doesn't change. So when you know that God is like a good God, a righteous God, and all those things, it's just like, yeah, that's good. So you think that for him to come down and get involved, he's like, that's excellent. If you're like, he's our God, that should be good. But it's also like, as we see through it, and we're going to touch through it as we kind of go through those concentric circles of coming in and just like, yeah, he's going to judge those nations, but you're also, you don't get a free pass. Right. Like you, if anything, you're held more accountable because you're the people that we're supposed to know. So it's like, they get it right. They're like, oh, God judging evil is good, but they're just completely blinded to the fact of that means that we will get judged. You know, it's not like they're standing like, God, we've kept your laws and we're just facing this enemy. We need you to move. They're like, yeah, we've been sending, but you're going to come rescue us, right? And, and I think just trying to think of the, the context of the Bible story in whole, mm -hmm. like it's almost a, it's a pattern mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. the Israelites go and do whatever they want. And then something tragic happens to them. They cry out to God. God comes, rescues, and they're victorious. And it's this pattern that repeats over and over and over again. So, yeah, when you're looking at the day of the Lord, God's judgment is like, no, it's going to take care of those people, not us. But what they failed to see this time is that they've now become the same as the nations around them. 
They are one of those people. Yeah. And really, it's a, uh, I read this and I thought it was a cool comparison or a cool way to look at it. It was that at Mount Sinai, uh, the Israelites made a covenant with God. Mm-hmm. And that's where Amos reminds us of that in uh, Amos 1 through 2. He says that, that great calling, like, I chose you out of all the people. Um, you were my chosen people. And uh, so it's, I think I said it last week, the, uh, with great calling comes great responsibility. Yeah, Spider-Man. And, and then there's, yeah. <laughs> but then there's also great consequences. Yeah. And I think that within that, you you brought up the covenant, but it's two times for sure, maybe three times, he brings in, I brought you up out of Egypt, which yeah. is the Sinai, you know, scenario that's happening there. So between mentioning the covenant and then bringing you up out of two, maybe three times. Yeah, he's definitely defining that moment. Yeah, and it's the the uh, this covenant is God's way of bringing reconciliation between himself and sinful humankind. Like, you're the people that I'm going to say, these are my representatives. You're going to go out, and we've talked about this, and infiltrate the nations and bring them in to us, mm-hmm. right, to make them part of the family. Uh, and, and God said, as long as you keep the promises or you keep the law, right. I'll keep my promises. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a relationship that God set them on a higher standard for them than the other nations. And, and it just made me think that, like, our relationship with God sets a higher standard for us to live by. And along with that, though, because you brought up keeping the law and he keeps his promises, is that it's the higher standard, but it's also the higher privilege and right. opportunity. You know, it's not just all about keep these things or there's consequences or whatever. It's just like it is the greatest pathway to the greatest things, but also the opening up to, you know, really that judgment coming in. If we really look at it, it's the the beginning of how to have a deeper relationship with God. So when we're looking at what are the benefits of it, it's like I have a deeper relationship with God. And through that, it changes a lot of what happens. But they ignored the gift of the law that God gave them. And God sent prophets constantly to challenge their disobedience and warnings. You see that in verse 11 through 12. It's, I raised up a prophet from among your children and a Nazarite from among your youth. Is this not true, people of, it, of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarite drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Which, just a note there for the Nazarites, right? They, um, Samson was supposed right. to be under the Nazarite vow, right? So part of that was, you're not cutting your hair. Part of that was, alcohol was never to touch your lips. Part of that was, you're never to touch anything dead, right? Is there anything else in the Nazarite vow? There might be, but I, those are like the big ones yeah, that we see main. throughout Samson's life is just like, yeah, I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah. So when you have these people that are under this vow and they're not supposed to drink and you're like, no, you made them drink the wine. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, people making this holier vow towards God and you're screwing them. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then you're telling the prophets not to not to prophesy. And we even see a glimpse of that. Like I talked about earlier with the uh, Amaziah and Amos itself, like he was like, don't do this. And he did. Uh, but it's interesting to me that God is a faithful father and he tried over and over and over again to get their attention, uh, but they would not change their behavior. Amos 4, 6 through 11 is, I I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain to one town, but withheld it from another. Again, God's justice, right? Like he's one town to the other distinguishing between the two. Uh, One field had rain and another one had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water and did not get enough to drink, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards and destroyed them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your figs and olive trees, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did in Egypt, reminding them of that big moment in their history. I killed your young men with the sword along with Along with your captured horses, I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you did not return to me. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you did not return to me. And it's kind of what I was talking about, that pattern. And really, I looked at it as God's grace. Yeah, it's interesting. Why, why, would, you, why would you say that? Because he's giving them opportunity over and over and over again. And it, and it harkens back to like what we've been talking about, that Old Testament, John 3.16, right? Uh, that, uh, what is it? He's rich in love, abounding in compassion mm-hmm. um, and slow to anger. And it's just that like, yeah, that's who, but he brings justice is the follow-up to that. And in that, 
part of when we're looking at God's grace versus a time of judgment, because there's very clearly times of judgment. And scripture talks about if you're not in that time, then today is the day of salvation right. and you should take advantage of that. And that's why God is being patient, right? Because at any time, like, yeah, you, you deserve it. And it can come down. He's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm being patient here. So really having that grace. And I was thinking about that, the difference to where in this section that you just read, he's saying, did you notice how I sent rain in one place and not rain in another? But you have Jesus bring up, be like your father in heaven who sends rain upon the just and the unjust, right? And I see that as being the, hey, on most given days, God is showering out his love and you should be impartial like that. But where we get the day of the Lord and judgment coming in is like, th those are special times. It's not like most given days. I don't see a contradiction there to where Jesus is saying, he sends it on all people all the time. Here Amos is saying, no, he doesn't. It's like, I definitely see judgment as being the, okay, God's stepping in in a unique way that is more of that. It's the judgment. It's the day of the Lord. It's him setting it straight. I, I've heard this uh, too, and I, I think it was from the Father's podcast, The Lord's of Spirit, when they were going through the fall of man or the sins of man thing. It's a good series. It really was. And I like the way he put it where uh, the exit out of Eden was God's grace because they couldn't be in Eden anymore because that's what judgment was going to happen. And with judgment comes death. Mm -hmm. So the separation and kicking them out uh, was God's grace, although it doesn't seem like God's grace. That's what God's grace was. And, I, and I, I, I like that because when we do think about certain moments in our lives where it's like, but why do you have me here? Mm -hmm. Well, that sometimes can be God's grace in our lives that like he's preventing the bigger hammer from being dropped, which is death. And, and so to me, looking at this stuff, like the, all this that's happening and, and the, the distinction you made is that the rain on everybody is everyday living. This moment is day of the Lord. This is judgment. This mm -hmm. is where even... Uh, where Jesus has the parable about the wheat, right? That the wheat and the weeds grow together until the day of judgment. Then there's separation. Uh, the sheep and the goat, it's the same thing. So yeah, like you said, there's not a contradiction. It's just a straight defining of the two different moments. Right. It's the bit of insight to God's methodology, I guess, if you yeah. could call it that way, is that when they're, hey, should we go rip out the the tares right now? Because somebody went and planted some weeds amongst everything. He's like, no, no, no. The enemy now's did. Not the time. Yeah. yeah, the enemy did. Like, now is not the time. Mm -hmm. And he allows things to grow up together. And yeah, for what purpose? Well, for the purpose of that he's not willing that any should perish. And to always think about it in those terms. We were just talking before the podcast started about uh, being once saved, always saved. And the thing, well, can you lose your salvation? Or if people walk away, do they never really have salvation? Or whatever the thing is, it's just like the importance of trying to figure out that on a theological doctrinal thing versus just, are you alive right now? Do you still have breath? Are you still concerned about whether or not God is for you? It's like, then he's giving you the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Today is not the day of the Lord in your life. Right. You know what I mean? There is repentance available to you. You might not have to seek it with much, you know, just definitely repentance is a, a gift from God to be able to turn away from things. Um, not something to be taken lightly that just, oh, I can keep on sinning and I'll just turn at the last day. It's like, eh, I wouldn't be so sure that you can just pull that off. Right. But today, if you have the concern, turn to God. I, I had it written down this way in my notes, and I actually changed it through our conversation in my head. So I had, if God is good, he must confront evil among the nations in Israel. God is good. Because God is good. Mm. He has to confront evil among the nations and Israel. And that's where you get Amos 4.12, the follow-up of all these things, like, yet you haven't returned, yet you haven't returned. Therefore... And then, like we've talked about before, what's the therefore? What's the therefore? We could go back and spend 50 more minutes on the other stuff. Uh, this is what I would do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, and this right here. When I read it today, just gave me a little bit of a chill in my spine. Prepare to meet your God. Yeah, right? Like, like it's not like the Moses sense where Moses is like, I want to see your face. And he's like, well, I can't, but you come over here. You'll see my backside because if not, then like the other thing's going to be crazy for you. Uh, but like this is like prepare to meet your God in every way it's used in Hollywood movies as a threat. Right. It's not like, oh, your loving father is like standing outside waiting for your return. He's like, nah, I'm gonna come grab you. Yeah. Like prepare to in every set, prepare to meet your maker. You know, it's it's. Yeah. It's not a favorable moment here um, at all. So 
we see that Israel through that being God's people meant that judgment was not only for the other nations, but it is for them as well. This is something to really pull out from Amos when he's making this argument and go back and listen to what we were talking about last time with kind of the concentric circles and how things were narrowing in on Israel and Judah. Um, But to take that concept and yeah, he's calling out the nations for their barbarity and for, you know, just their ruthlessness and those types of things. But when he gets to Israel and he goes, no, 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 you've broken my law and my statute. That's what I'm bringing against you. So that was a concept last time that I brought mm-hmm. up of the uh, covenant lawsuit. Right. So he's saying, hey, we entered into an agreement here, and I'm going to lay out my case for how you've broken this going thing. Going back to Sinai. Yeah, yeah. So really when you're pulling that in, it's it's a different case for Israel. It's you should have known better, and like you said earlier, you're, you're being held more responsible for these things. This brings me to my first uh, pastor point here, yeah, yeah, preaching point. Yeah, yeah, we are the chosen, but we don't have the right to choose how to live the way we want. And that's where, to me, I looked at it from Israel's perspective. They're like, we're God's chosen people, like they, they said. But throughout even the book of Judges, then the people did what was right in their eyes. Mm-hmm. So they constantly were doing what was right in their eyes, and this is where they're at. They were chosen by God's people. But just because you're chosen doesn't give you the right to live however you want or do things the way you want to. Yeah, even when they would have the judge come in, in some ways it just straight up says, and for as long as that judge was alive, they did well. But Mm -hmm. then he passed away and they immediately went back. And you even look at what we're talking about, King Uzziah, Mm -hmm. right? It was, was it Zechariah, the priest during his time? And it said as long as he was the priest that he did good but then as soon as that like kind of passed and he yeah i think, I think he so. became prideful and then you seen the dude got covered in leprosy you know they it, yeah the same thing is the judge comes and they did right for a time but then they just fell back into doing what they wanted to do this is one of the great advantages that we have being after the cross granted we're two thousand years after the cross but like immediately after that there's the new and the better covenant and the we have a living high priest in Jesus who's experienced all things and is constantly on our side for things, right? To make an atonement for us and to wash us clean and all these things is that through his atonement and through the power of his spirit that comes from that new covenant is that we constantly, we're not worried about like, oh, we need a new ruler who's going to come and they'll do good. But once they die, we're going to fall off, whether it's a judge or a king or a priest. It's like we have all of those things in Christ and he's forever alive. So it's like we constantly have the best person on our side. You know, it's not like we're worried about like, oh man, it was good while King David was alive, but now he's gone. So what are we going to do? It's like, no, we still have Jesus. We still have Jesus. Even 2000 years later, that for us as a people, we don't really have that excuse anymore, which is a fantastic thing. You know what I mean? As long as you can step into the realities and by faith really take hold of that thing. If you're walking around like, yeah, I don't think Jesus is really alive and that's not really doing a thing. It's like, yeah, then you're not benefiting, (laughs) you know, you're not really getting that. You you track with what I'm saying? Yeah. I guess we've been given the the greatest defense against that natural tendency of God's people. That's what I was trying to get to. That's that's a wonderful point that we have the benefit of um, not succumbing to what tendency leads us to which is constant rebellion like it's constant consistent rebellion yeah Uh, i like that uh to me the book of amos i I think i said this the last time the book of amos focuses on two major themes and one of them is god's concern for the proper worship and then the other is god's concern for justice and and for amos the social and religious issues are Mm -hmm. interrelated Mm -hmm. and almost uh, indistinguishably linked like you can't tell the difference. He shifts between social and religious condemnation frequently, almost blurring the lines where you just can't see the difference between the two. Because I think for God, there isn't a difference between the two, especially when you get in his law, how you're supposed to treat people. Yeah. You know what I mean? That is just like part of the law is the social thing. And so often the Jews just didn't get that part. Right. Or even in Jesus' day, right? They're like, well, you're trying to like, keep track of all the tithes of the mint and the cumin and like you're you're making sure you get your herbs and spices but you're completely missing the other part about you know righteousness and justice happening so it seems like again that recurring thing because it's so much easier to put on the appearance of the religiosity but keep the worldly corruption 
like you know you put the put the mask of the religiosity on because like oh yes collecting ties that's a thing but on the background you're uh, also collecting bribes and that was what's happening during during Amos's time. Yeah, yeah. They were still sacrificing and doing all those things, but they were just putting on the facade. Uh, I also found it interesting that in the two woe speeches mm-hmm. uh, in chapter five and six, uh, that he addresses uh, the religious and social political consequences of Israel's offense against God. The first one focuses on the religious issues, saying God has rejected their sacrifices and worships, and then mm-hmm. the second one criticizes the elite in Israel who live in luxury and have a false sense of security, and exile is coming because of both and that's the thing like this is when you think about like well why did this happen it's clear throughout the book of amos this is what's happening and this is what's happening um that their worship wasn't proper that they weren't uh concerned about justice in the way it should be so like for me i actually went back to verse one of which of amos chapter one actually one, verse one. two okay. one two and it's uh to me when really looking at like okay so what is then proper worship no, I'm just laughing because I'm like, what chapter are we in? And you're like, one. I'm over here in chapter five reading something. I'm like, we haven't even left the first, the first well, verse. I'm going to stay in the first verse or second verse for a little bit. But uh, proper worship starts and ends with uh, God and who he is. He said, so this is chapter one, verse two. The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. And the first recorded words of Amos are God. Mm-hmm. And I, I just found this really interesting. And the last recorded words of Amos are God or Yahweh. Uh, he says, I'll plant Israel in their own land and never again will it be uprooted from the land I give them, says the Lord your God. So his first words and his last words are God. And I think this speaks volumes as to where uh, God was in Amos's life. Uh, God is his ultimate focus. He's the primary figure in all the oracles and visions. And God's power is highlighted throughout the book. If we just look at the doxologies, we can see it's like who formed the mountains? Who did this? Who did that? The Lord God Almighty is his name. He who put the Orion in his place and did this and the seas and the stars, the Lord is his name. He destroys the strongholds. He brings the fortified cities to ruin. And then the Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts. And it even ends with the Lord is his name. And it's God is incomparable. Uh, There's nothing like him. He is authority. He is power. And he makes no mistake that the central theological theme of this book is God. And I also believe that the central theological theme of Amos' life was God. And everything revolved around that. And that's a point that I would want to make, in addition to everything that you just said, as far as like a pastoral point of view, is that when you're saying that who God was to Amos, because Amos knew God, right? God is a living God, and Amos knew God. And the fact that he's saying, look, I was not a prophet, and I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm a sheep herder, and I took care of sycamore fig trees. So it's like, then why are you here doing this thing? Because I know God. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the thing for all of us is just, I mean, we talk about it all the time. There are people who are much more scholarly and know much more things about anything biblically related and, you know, any of those things. But it's like, so then who am I? Like, why should I expect anything? And not even we're trying to come with expectations, but it's just like, if you know God, God will use you how he wants. Mm -hmm. And it's not dependent upon any type of knowledge, upon any type of status or upon any type of anything. We see that throughout all of scripture where God is like, cool. I search the hearts and I see that you have a heart for me. Let's go. Let's make it happen. And even it's like, well, I'm scared to do that. He's like, all right, well, we'll work through your fears. Well, I have some type of thing that would stop me from doing that. Okay, I'll show you how like we can get around that and maybe even make some compromises along the way. So like God really will just move forward with a person who's willing and who knows him. So that's the thing for me taking to this like Amos coming this hard. And you got to imagine as far as status goes, and we talked last time about like maybe he was a bit richer or maybe a bit poor, but he was definitely from a richer um, area, yeah. right? And a region going on. But even still, it's just, okay, God, I'm just out here tending to sheep and to trees. And you're going to send me with this harsh, not just message, but group of messages. He went around. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you're going to send me straight to the temple? Again, going back to Amaziah. Amaziah. Yeah, yeah Amaziah is just like, cool, I'm going to go straight to the temple and just tell them this. Me, a sheep herder. I mm-hmm. was like, yep, that's what we're doing. And he did. Yeah. So that's, that's also things like whatever you're doing, if God's telling you to do a thing, do it. Right. Yeah. The credentials or the other stuff doesn't need to be there. It's just follow God. And I'm making that point because I can feel that way. I can feel like I need to have something to prove myself or to bring some type of worth other than just like what the message is or you know just as a pastor being able to come in with the bible trying to come in and you know bring truth and bring love and to do the things like 
sometimes in some areas it's just like no that makes sense you can just come and talk with people but at other times it's almost like i i they're not just gonna take me because of this mm-hmm. in in my mind and it's like it's just gonna fall deaf but no that's not how it works out and I, I, I like this idea, the central theological theme of your life is God, mm-hmm. uh, because when it is that, like, yes, we see Amos has this calling to go preach to the cities and basically march into the temple and be like, y'all wrong, this is going to happen. But for a lot of other people, that's not the case. But when your theological theme is God and he's the center of everything, um, he puts you in the places to actually be a help and a benefit for someone Mm -hmm. uh, because you're just following. You're just obediently moving with the spirit, allowing it to guide you from place to place. And and it's not about the position or a title. It's just about your gods. And I think that's what the Israelites forgot. Mm -hmm. That's why the covenant's broken. That's why they did what was right in their own eyes because it wasn't about it being a Moses or a Samson or a David or Solomon or any of the other rulers, kings, or great figures in their lives. It was about them being God's chosen people where mm-hmm. they're at. I just want to put an addendum like to that as well, is that we brought up Amos, and Amos came with this because he submitted to it. Mm-hmm. But then we also have Hosea coming in. I was like, submitting to God doesn't mean that you go out on the temple and you bring this heart right. message. like. Hosea went out and it was like, hey, God's mercy and a bit of pleading and to be able to bring that. So it's not just like, oh, man, submit to God and he's going to go out and do this. Mm -hmm. Like, you're going to go be a martyr in, you know, whatever uh, country. And that's what's going to happen. It's like, no, God, he knows who we all are and he's looking for the willingness. He's looking at the heart and how that comes out and how that plays out in the world can be entirely different. But it's also needed. Mm -hmm. Amos was needed and Hosea was needed. Right. I I feel like if you're following God and allowing him to move your life and the spirit to move, Mm -hmm. uh, you can be Amos and Hosea in your lifetime. You can deliver the hard message because you're uh, letting the spirit lead you, and you're not just doing it to be a jerk, right? You're not just (laughs) like, I'm being a jerk and going to tell you all you're going to hell, but you're knowing when to give the hard rebuke, but you also know when to give the loving embrace. And I think that's the importance that we need to have as Christians because I feel like this is where they failed at. Um, The other thing I really liked from verse (laughs) 2... Uh, was the roar from Zion, and and I I never caught this. I didn't. I when we read through it and we talked about it last episode, I read verse two and I thought this is weird, right? Because it's a little disjointed. It doesn't seem like it flows with what then happens next or every anything like that. But uh, I really then looked into it uh, as coming into this week, and uh, um, his roar resounds like thunder. And it's, he does not come to deliver, but to judge his people. Uh, and the fact that his voice reverberates from Zion to Jerusalem is important. And I read this in a commentary, and I thought it was really cool that he is the divine lion. And that God speaks from Jerusalem, not Samaria. Uh, that God won't be mocked. He won't tolerate uh, rivals, disobedience, misrepresentation. He is the divine lion uh, and the omnipotent king. And it's like basically his roar is the judgment that the people of Israel... We're basically kind of approaching God on their terms, right? They're going to Bethel, Gilgal. Uh, how did you pronounce that in the recording? Which one? There's a lot of different cities. It was Dan. Gilgath? Uh, Gilgath. There it is. And Bethel, right? So they're going to all these other places or wherever else they deemed good enough to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And he is saying like, uh, my voice comes from uh, Zion to Jerusalem and it's there. And I just really thought that was a, a super cool thing. Um, it, it put this thought in my head and it's not a completed one. And I would have to do a little more looking into it. But it's uh, basically it was like, be where God is to hear God. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes because it's like uh, I read in commentaries, they're phrasing this as like, it's in Jerusalem where you where God's voice is coming from that. Uh, but they were going to all these other places. So it just hit me in, in the thought of like, you know, maybe sometimes we don't fully hear from God or we're not seeing God because we're not in a place where God is. Yes, God is everywhere. But. Also, like if you're looking to know who God is and you're not reading your Bible, you're not going to find the solution. It was, like I said, as you can hear me rambling through it, it wasn't a clear thought out thing, uh, but it was just something that hit my head. But the one thought that is clear and thought out was that we can't approach God on our terms and expect a good outcome. And you're relating that kind of to where the temple is. You're saying Mm -hmm. he's roaring out from Jerusalem, right? And coming from that place. And then even later, when he's saying, hey, don't go to this place to worship, right. I'm going to tear those places down. Yeah, you can't come on your own terms. And it is the thing of, I believe, if you're truly seeking after God, you can maybe even end up in a not 
really right place of worship because maybe you're ignorant and you don't know enough and you can even maybe be there for a while but as long as you keep seeking like he'll bring you out of that Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying if you were born in those areas and you go to that place to worship and everyone's telling you this is the place to worship you're like okay but then god is good and he'll let something come out this something was amos coming and preaching at that temple Mm -hmm. to say hey this isn't really it it's like our hearts have to be open enough to like i'm not trying to follow what my pastor says i'm not trying to follow what this popular internet preacher says i'm not trying to follow what my denomination says i'm trying to follow jesus and i need to be open to what the spirit is telling me and that's where scripture says hey test every spirit right because i've experienced all kinds of weird and different teachings and a lot of them i go oh i had to grow from that i actually believe something because somebody made it sound good for a while and there's that but then i've definitely moved out of areas and into other things that like honestly if you told me it back in the day i would I would have been more guarded to it, like, nah, that can't be right. No one's ever told me that that's right. It's like, oh, that actually is in the scripture. You know, so we we do need to take that work upon to keep seeking. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought it out that way because uh, that's actually now connecting the dots in my head for for everything because it's like we've got to be seeking God, even in his rebuttal. I I have it here in my notes. It's chapter five. See, I'm in chapter five now, Uh, four through six. He says, this is what the Lord says to Israel, seek me and live. Mm-hmm. Do not seek Bethel. Do not seek Gilgal. Uh, do not go to Beersheba, uh, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be de- reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. I-, I read this in a commentary, and I thought it was funny because I read the similar thing about Habakkuk, and it said, uh, as earlier noted, uh, rabbinic writers apparently held the prophet Amos in high esteem. Through Moses uh, had come 613 laws. Remember, I read this for Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. And then through David 11, through Isaiah 6, through uh, Micah 3, and through another passage in Isaiah 2. But Amos, they wrote, reduced it to a divine requirement to seek God and live. And then Habakkuk's was, um, the righteous will live by faith. Mm-hmm. Like he did the same thing. But uh, I'm glad that you brought it into that because they weren't seeking God where they were worshiping. Like they were worshiping, but they weren't seeking God. And that's where they were going. They were seeking gods, yes, but they weren't seeking God. Yeah, so in the translation that I read, still saying in, in 5, but to go off that point as far as like who they're seeking, in 5 verses 25-26, he um, says, Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You have taken along Sekuth, your king, and Kaiwan, your star god, the idols you made for yourselves, right? But in the Septuagint, Instead of Sukkoth and Kaiwan, I think that's how you pronounce it, it says, you have taken along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Raphan. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot more people are probably more familiar with Moloch and mm-hmm. the sacrifices that would happen there. Um, so there's differences. You know, different manuscripts that we have highlight different things sometimes. And um, sometimes the wording helps and other times it's two variations and it's like it's, it's worth studying but when we're looking at yeah who were they seeking there and he's bringing the, remem- the remembrance hey when we were in the wilderness were you offering me sacrifices because you actually brought along some of these other gods and he's kind of bringing up the same point you know you're at these places that's not jerusalem you're not worshiping me here like what's going on yeah my translation has uh you lifted up the shrine of your king and the pedestal of your idols the star of your gods and it's the same thing right like uh, I, I didn't make the connection of like it's a lowercase king, so it's not really pointing at him being the king, right? God being king, and of course, obviously, the idols. But yeah, it, it, there was no seeking of God. They're seeking worship, which is what happens when you go to worship something, but they weren't seeking God. And, and again, I made the big point about like it's Jerusalem where they had to go. That's where God was roaring his voice through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really feel like the honesty is like you said earlier, that when we're seeking God, um, we will find him and worship him properly. And in that, in seeking him and finding him, I keep, I don't know why I keep coming back to this, but God is a living God. Mm -hmm. And that when you seek him and you find him and you're connecting with him, he transforms you. And I think that another indicator that comes from that whole chapter five and other chapters surrounding it is when you're like, oh, you're worshiping in these other places. Like, don't worship there. I'm not there. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not what to do it. But the evidence that that's not what was happening is that they weren't being transformed into his image and likeness yeah. to where everything that was happening in this region, what was going on, is they had bribery and they had greed and they had 
pushing down the oppressed and, you know, the poor and taking advantage of people and all the stuff. And it's like, if you're truly worshiping God, you don't do those things. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that that's where people even today say about like Christianity is that Christianity is full of a bunch of hypocrites. And it's like, I would agree because there can be a lot of people that go to church who might even call themselves a Christians, but aren't actually worshiping God who aren't being led by the spirit. And it's like, if they were being led by the spirit, they would be a loving person full of all the fruits of the spirit and everything else. You know, to degrees we're growing in it. But sometimes it's just like Christian wouldn't do that. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Like you yeah. know what I mean? That's evidence that the relationship isn't there. Yeah. Now, going back to my previous point, maybe it's ignorance. Maybe they are at a church that's preaching, hey, this is what Christianity is, but they're not actually getting the truth and getting the spirit. And it's like, I've seen that. Sometimes there are whole churches that like they're off on a different mission. And, you know, they're they're off track. To which case, I'll probably hear God coming and say, don't worship me at that place. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is we can trust God. That, like if people are really seeking, something will happen to move that along. And if you're seeking, you're going to hear it. Yeah. yeah. You're going to hear like, not here. Go somewhere. Things um, will start to not sound right. Right, right. You'll hear things in some way. Like it could even be something from like this podcast. Or, like, you know, I don't, it's just any way. I've heard people, I was driving down and I saw a billboard that had like a something on it. And it just really made me think because I had heard something. And, mm-hmm. you know, God, God wants us. He wants to get our attention. He yeah. is a good father. Which is going back to the, I sent this and you did not return to yeah. me. I'm getting, I'm trying to get yes, your exactly, attention. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That, yes. Are we going to that spot now? Or <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were already there. Okay. I, I do want to make a, a one more point, and then, yeah, we could go to there if you want. Um, uh, because it keeps hitting me about they were seeking worship, but they weren't seeking God. And I feel like we do the same. Um, and then Amos 5, 21 through 24, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Uh, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. Uh, though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Empty rituals, worthless rituals is what they were doing. And for me, uh, it made me think about they made worship about them. And it was what's convenient for them. What's convenient for me isn't to go to Jerusalem. It's to go to Bethel. It's to go to these other places. And then I'll go worship God there. Well, and everything that came along with it, right? Yeah. Is it also, no, we have the kingdom up here, and this is what's happening. Right. We have our own king now, and these are our, yeah. Yeah, and so it was about them, their standards, how they wanted to, to do it. And I think uh, we err when we make or we think that worship is about us, and it's not. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about God. So when we go to a church, and we don't like the worship, and we leave, we've just made the worship about me. And that's why God said he'll destroy the, the altars at Bethel, right? Because he says, this isn't about you, it's about me. You're not worshiping me on my standards. You're not worshiping me based on the requirements I gave you. Uh, you're doing it the way you wanted to. Um, so to begin the punishment at the sanctuaries was to strike at the very heart of Israel's self-understanding, its theology, and its systemic ideologies. Mm-hmm. Like he had a cut at that. Yeah, because you're like, hey, here's where you set this thing up. So mm-hmm. I got to come bring it back down. And I read this. It's about temples in a commentary. It's a little bit long. Uh, hopefully I could get through it with uh, minimal stuttering. Uh, but it said temples were the earthly residents of the deities, which had been built painstakingly under their direction. They were believed to replicate the heavenly realm and be a venue of connecting to it. Temples were the place where the stability of the created order and society, justice, fertility, prosperity, and peace could be ensured as the gods were pleased through specific rituals. Ancient Mesopotamian temples were also ones of the setting of prophetic activity, and on occasion, prophets were members of the temple personnel. An important aspect of the prophetic message was to remind the king of his ritual duties and the solemn obligation to maintain the sanctuary in good condition so the deity would bless and protect the people. To bring down the holy site, sites, particularly the primary temple, was to eliminate the foundational holy space, symbolisms, and ceremonies that legitimized the kingdom, the royal house, and the social construct. It could cripple an economic pillar too, because the role of the temple could play in the administration and collection of taxes. The fact that Amos proclaimed the judgment would come at Yahweh's hand was a powerful declaration that the deity whom Israel claimed to follow did not approve of the nation and its cults. Uh, and would not tolerate to continue their existence. So with that, 
everything that you brought up about worshiping and the pagan deities and all the stuff and why they went to make them happy so that they could get fertility and, you know, all this stuff taken care of. And you just see repeatedly in the Old Testament God coming and saying, oh, you think your God is doing that? Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you that your God just will not be able to provide that for you. You can keep offering your sacrifices and stuff, but I'm just going to shut it down. And my prophet will let you know that I, Yahweh, am the one in control of that thing. Right? That was all the ten plagues of Egypt and any other place when we look at Elijah, you know, against Baal and just all the all the interactions where God is coming against the gods of the nations, against the pagan gods and showing, no, I'm God. You're worshiping the wrong thing here. You're worshiping the wrong being in the wrong way. But it's interesting that he's then coming to Israel and doing that in that mm-hmm. same way, going like, what you've set up. And it's what you've said repeatedly on this episode. You're worshiping the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to shut down what you've set up here to, to come and worship me. And I feel like uh, that there was an obstacle that prevented Israel from truly experiencing God. Right. That it was all these other places. Mm-hmm. And like that is why he's like, this has to be removed. And I think we do the same when we make worship about us, when I make worship about me or anything else really in that manner. You have to be removed. Yeah, in a sense. Like when I worship God on my turns, uh, I, I worship, but I don't seek God. And I make worship self-centered instead of God-centered. And I think that's where God has to sometimes even come in and remove certain things in our lives that we're worshiping, that we're going to and saying, this is uh, my God who provides this, this, and this. It's interesting because we instantly think of gods, again, as the deities and this and that and the sacrifices. But uh, in a more modern day looking at it, like a god is almost anything that just replaces God. Like if it's first in your life, and that could be you. That could be just trying to earn a good living. You know, it's all these things that it could be. And in order to really experience God properly, those things do have to be removed in order to that we could fully see a, a God-centered worship instead of a self-centered worship. So within that, I'm going to take that thought and expand it from the individual sense into the national sense, because chapter 5, and again, surrounding, you brought up earlier that, so it's in chapter 5, verse 19, it will be like a man who flees from a lion only to encounter a bear, or who enters his house and rests his hand against the wall only to be bitten by a snake, right? Mm-hmm. And you're looking at when that's happening on the large scale of worshiping the wrong thing and getting off track and God coming in to correct that thing, the point that I want to bring out of this, I don't subscribe to, I think they call it replacement theology, which was like, no, Christianity is Israel in every shape and form now, and like everything's been taken over. I, I don't go for that. I also def- definitely, definitely don't go for, well, America is Israel now, right? Oh, yeah, and, and all that, yeah. like, I'm definitely not there. However... When I'm reading things about what God's judgment looks like and the reasons and the hows and the whys and what you were just saying, that he, he will come in and he'll take away what it is that we've made as gods, the things that we're depending on. When I'm looking around and I'm definitely not a doomsayer and don't want to, like I want all the best for everything. But when I look around, I'm just seeing how many things are being torn down right now in the world around us. I'm just like, oh, yeah. People have built all of these things up and they're, that's where they're finding their life is in these things, right? Mm-hmm. This is where they're finding their hope. That's where their protection comes from. That's where their whole life direction is headed towards. And all of these different spheres that just seem like they're kind of crumbling and failing right now in society. I look at this to where a lot of people are wanting to flee those things, right? The economy crashing. People are trying to run away from that lion, how do I get away from this economy crashing, right? I, I got to get away from it. I got to find safety. I got to find safety. And thinking like without turning to truly worship God, you're going to end up in the situation and still you didn't turn to me, mm-hmm. right? I sent that thing to get your attention, but still you're not turning to me. And that's why the day of the Lord comes like the bear. You're trying to run away from the economic downturn. And if you don't turn to God, the day of judgment's coming in like that thing, just like you thought that the downturn was bad. Here's the next step of my judgment against wickedness. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. It was like, man, finally I made it to the house. I'm safe, right? I was able to store up everything or do whatever. I've got my my underground bunker and all the stuff. And just like, nah, you you don't. Because then you stuck your hand to finally resting and a snake bit you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can't escape. Yeah. It's like even in Amos he, where he compares about like their um, comfort was in their yes, yes. ivory beds. Yes, and their that's exactly the point. Summer home is in their winter homes. And like we found security in our prosperity in a sense and god's like but in that security you didn't see this was coming mm-hmm. and here comes the bear it was funny when you were saying that i was thinking like oh yeah the lions uh the economy crashing 
well, what's the bear going to be? I didn't even put two and two together. The bear is the day of the Lord. I was like, what other events are happening in social life that's going to come and get us? Well, yeah, whatever you want to say, the lion is the thing that you're trying to escape because of like the fact that our, our nation, maybe they're going to places of worship. They're going to Gilgath. They're going to Dan. They're going to Samaria, right? Maybe we're doing those things. But is that, are we paying attention to God saying, don't go do that? I despise some of those solemn assemblies, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm really, do you, I mean, we talk about all the time. I'm not like, hey, let's go heretic hunting and point out all these bad churches and do this stuff. I just look at the proof of the pudding of what's happening in our country. And she's like, if we were truly a nation that was truly, truly seeking after God, we would live. We would find prosperity. God is a God of promises. And in Christ, all those promises are yes and amen. So it's like, why do things look this way? Yeah. I was, I was just going to say, don't get me started talking about that. Uh, Some pudding? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you laughed on it. that proof in the pudding. <laughs> no, it was uh, before that. Uh, the heretic hunting. Oh, uh, okay. uh, don't get me started talking about that uh, Christian YouTuber we were discussing before the show. I'm not going to say names, but you know who you are. We hunt them in private. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to say names, but you know who you are. <laughs> That's so dumb. Uh, I really think it, it boils down to uh, that... We make the mistake when we think worship is a music and service mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And it's more, it's our lifestyle and it's how we treat others. And this is how, why Amos is making those connections. This is why he's mm-hmm. making the dots. It's worship is about how we live lives outside of the building. Mm-hmm. It's not coming in here and hearing a song. That's a functionality of it. That is a part of it. But that is not the sum of it. It's not the whole thing. And we really screw up as Christians when we're like, I went to my worship service and I worship God and then go outside and like you were saying earlier, did something that was totally contrary to that. Your worship didn't stop the moment you left the building. It continues. It flows out of your life. Uh, I like the Bible Project dudes in one of the videos or in their video about Amos said this, um, uh, worship of the gods leads to injustice. Asherah, Anat, and Baal, because these gods do not require the same degree of justice and righteousness as the God of Israel. Plus, these gods were immoral themselves. I was going to say, when you, when you get yeah. into the studies of these gods, it's like they weren't really trying to do that. They were overthrowing each other and mm-hmm. killing each other and respawning each other and dating each other and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> all kinds of bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, another thing I, I'm going to steal from the Bible Project dudes, uh, that true worship should always lead to justice, righteousness, and loving others. I think that's a good spot to split this episode. So we'll split this episode and save the rest of the conversation for the next episode. So I'm Chris. I'm Yurdu. We're your church friends. Thanks for listening. Habakkuk. Nahum. Obadiah. Jude. Philemon. Haggai. Amen.